Well, to all of you who are gathered here today, welcome. Welcome to St. John's Church on this glorious day. Wonderful, beautiful day. Some things, good things do happen. As we all know, the Baltimore Orioles are now in first place in the American League East, where we hope they will be at the end of the year. And the North Carolina Tar Heels won the national championship. So all of you, we are very glad about that. And uh, if you're from Duke, too bad, is what I say to you. But welcome to all of you. If you're here against your wishes, welcome. <laughs> if you're here because your parents brought you, that's a good thing to do. You need to build up political capital with your parents. If you're young enough, they're going to need them. They're going to pay for your college education. And if you're old enough, you're waiting for your parents to pay for your wedding. <laughs> and if that's the case, welcome. Glad that you are here regardless. This is a very broad church here. We welcome everybody, and we're glad that you are all here. Uh, we even welcome New York Yankees fans. I want to tell you that Tom Malloy, who's our drummer and has been our drummer for a number of years, always comes to the service. And I'm always glad to have you here as a New York Yankees fan. Tom, welcome to St. John's. And as they like to say down south, bless your heart. <laughs> One of my friends uh, with whom I played tennis a couple of Mondays ago somewhat cynically and somewhat meanly said to me, well, I guess on Easter Day, St. John's Church will finally be filled up. And I said to him, absolutely, it'll be filled up because it's the right place to be at the right time to be and the right thing to do. And I said to him, we're glad that it's going to be filled up on Easter Day because we're all Easter Christians. And a lot of smart people know that. And they give up their second cup of latte and the New York Times to come on Sunday morning. And then I said to him rather cynically and meanly, and we would welcome you also to St. John's Church on Easter Day. <laughs> now, I'm not here to explain the resurrection to you. Can't be explained. The resurrection is one of, one of those tr truths that can't be explained. It's like the Bach's B minor mass that I love so much. Mozart strings, quartets that always make me want to cry. El Greco, the material of Gabriel Garcia Marquez. The novels of Toni Morrison. All of these are truths that the mind can defend, but can never discover. This is one of those truths of which the mind plays an important part, but not finally a creative one. So we gather today to proclaim this truth and to determine for ourselves what it is that we're going to be doing with it. We gather on Easter Day, and on Easter Day we always read one of the, uh, uh, one of the gospel stories about the resurrection. The one that we have today, of course, is the one from Matthew. And Matthew is the, um, the one that has the Cecil B. the Mill version of the gospels in it. You know, at 7.45 this morning, there were a group of young folks, and I said to them, this is the Cecil B. the Mill version of the gospel. And they all looked back at me like I was like, speaking German, Greek, or something like that. And I said to them, do you not know who Cecil B. the Mill? And they all shook their heads. So I'm going to do the same thing at 11 o'clock. For all of you who are young, do you know who Cecil B. the Mill is? I know this is an Episcopal church. I know you don't shout amen. We don't shout hallelujahs here. But it's good to nod when the preacher says, do you know Cecil B. the Mill? <laughs> if you don't know Cecil B. the Mill, you know that Cecil B. the Mill was the one who always draws everything out as the grandest version of it, the most magnificent version of it. And if you've never seen one of his movies, go ahead and rent or take out or whatever it is that you do to get the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston in it. That's a Cecil B. the Mill movie, and it's a big movie. It's a magnificent movie, and it exaggerates everything. 
And in Matthew's Gospel, that's what we get. This is the only one, there's an earthquake. There's an earthquake that shakes everybody. Now, I like to think that it's a heaven quake that takes place. I like to think that it's the tectonic plates of heaven that have shaken, and that the tremors of that are felt here on earth. For sure enough, they feel it. There are two women who go, the two Marys who show up. Always the women are the ones who show up when there is some trouble. Always the women who are not afraid to show up when there is some trouble. The guys are hidden somewhere else. And the two women show up, and there are two guards who are standing there. The two guards are there because Pilate, immediately after the crucifixion, the people went to him and they said to him, make it as secure as you can. That's what they asked him. Make that tomb as secure as you can. We want things to be just the same. We want things to remain just the same as they were. We don't want any surprises. We don't want any good news. So he makes it as secure as he can, and he puts two guards there to guard it. And sure enough, here come the two women. The two guards are there, and an angel descends down in very bright clothes and like lightning and stands there, and that's the one that has rolled the stone away. And the women who look at it are terrified, as you would be. The guards are terrified, after all. Have you ever gone to a cemetery and expect somebody to pop up? <laughs> have you ever gone to a cemetery and find that that person comes back to you? No, 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 that's not going to happen. You go to a cemetery, you expect dead people to stay dead. <laughs> and sure enough, sure enough, the two women are there and they're confronted with this reality, and the guards are confronted with this reality. And really, the story, the story is about how you're going to react to it. How are you going to react to something that is beyond what seems possible? How are you going to react to the surprises in life? How are you going to react to some truths of life, whether you can accept them or not? And we have two reactions to it. Our gospel reading here stops on verse 10. It's too bad, because the guards, after they see the empty tomb, if we were to read it a little longer, you would see that the guards go back to Pilate, and they go back to Pilate and said, you're not going to believe this, but that tomb is empty. What do you want us to do? And Pilate pulls out some money and hands it over to them, and he says to them, go and tell everybody that the disciples took the body. He tells them, go and tell a lie. They're the first spinmeisters of, of the world. <laughs> they go out and say, go and tell a lie. Don't tell them what's happened. Go and tell a lie. And you can opt for that. If you accept the lies, you can live your life in fear. If you can accept that, you can live your life without any changes coming along. And then on the other hand, of course, on the other hand, we have the two women who for some reason or another understand the voice from heaven. And in understanding the voice from heaven, they decide that they're not going to live lives full of fear. Fear, as you and I both know, is a diminishing emotion. Fear makes us all small. Fear makes us all cowards. Fear keeps us from trying new things. Fear keeps us from looking at things in a new way. Henry Nouwen, the Roman Catholic theologian, wrote that if we make the house of fear our permanent dwelling, we will find our choices narrowed and our capacity to love constricted until we can barely breathe. And he goes on to say, how can we live in the midst of a world marked by fear, hatred, and violence, and not be destroyed by it? Easter is about the invitation about how we're going to conquer our fears. 
And by telling the story, by telling the story over and over, we begin to conquer those fears in our lives. So you may ask yourself the question, so what happened? What happened on that day? Peter Gomes, who was uh, the minister and the preacher at Harvard University's Memorial Chapel, was a frequent guest here at St. John's Church for a number of years. Now we only remember him in memory. And when Peter was here one time, I heard him in one of his sermons that somebody, he said, retelling a story about uh, Harvard, and he said, when I'm over there, people will come and ask me a question like, do you believe in the resurrection? And Peter said that he always replied, yes, I believe in the resurrection. And he says, you believe, how can you possibly believe in the resurrection? It's just not a normal thing. He said, I know that. I know that it's not a normal thing, but I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection because of you. I believe in the resurrection because of your work. I believe in it because of your existence. I believe in it because the way you live our life. That's where I see the power of the resurrection. What changed that day? Did the sun rise in the west and not in the east? No. Did the rivers reverse their courses? No. Did the wicked cease to be wicked? No. Were the weary still, still not having any rest? Absolutely not. As far as concern, what happened? Nothing happened. Nothing changed. Nothing happened on that day that would change the course of the earth. But here's what's important. It's not what happened, is who was changed? Who was changed by the resurrection? I live in the same world that you live. We're surrounded by trials and tribulations. And the gospel is for people who live with trials and tribulations. We are promised a new life, but none of us, none of us gathered here, borrowing the words of T.S. Eliot, dream of systems so perfect that no one ever need to be good. That's about dreams, that's about fantasies. Most of us inhabit a world that needs some good news. And what has changed are the women. The women are changed in this story. And when, G, when the angel says to them, you need not be afraid, somehow they conquer their fear. And he says, don't be afraid. What I want you to do is to move from here. And he says, and go to Galilee. You know what the angels don't say? The angels don't say, go and see Jesus up in heaven. He says, go to Galilee. You're not going to see Jesus up in heaven. You're going to see Jesus in Galilee. And don't go looking for Galilee on your GPS system. Galilee is a metaphor. Galilee is all, are all the places of our lives. Galilee is Washington, D.C. It's Alexandria. Galilee is Arlington. It's Bethesda. It's Potomac. Everywhere where you live, that is Galilee. And those women, the very first disciples, they march on and they overcome their fears. They overcome their fears because of the presence of the risen Christ. I'll tell you what's most important about uh, the resurrection, about the Easter event, as far as I'm concerned. What we have been promised by God is that God will provide for us all the support in the world, but absolutely no protection. God is always promising us maximum support, but very little protection. But with that maximum support, we can conquer our fears. With that support, we can march on. With that support, we can go to Galilee and proclaim the good news of God.
as they travel, they meet Jesus again. And Jesus says to them, here, you found me on the road to Galilee. And he says to them the same thing the angel said, don't be afraid. You need not be afraid. My presence is all you need to be brave people who cannot break the chains of fear and live a new life. And he says, go to Galilee. Go to Galilee and proclaim and proclaim the power of this event. And they go forth from that time forward and they become ten times the people they were before. And they're able to proclaim that there is no pain so deep that there can be no relief in our lives. That there is no loneliness so absolute that there can be no friend in our lives. That there is no fear so great that there can be no calm in our lives. That there is no grief so deep that there can be no consolation in our lives. No war so fierce that there can be no peace. No apathy so deep that there can be no love. No prayer so dishonest that we will not be heard. No death so final that there can be no everlasting life. And they go forth ten times the human being, and they proclaim that over and over and over. They are the proof of the resurrection. It's their lives that are the proof of the resurrection. It's hard to keep proclaiming all of that, the world being what it is. Xenophobia, expression of fear. Racism, an expression of fear. Sexism, an expression of fear. All of them, an expression of fear. But we're invited never to give up, never to give in, and never, ever to give out. It's tough. I acknowledge it. It's tough to keep on going, but that's what we are asked and invited to be, proclaimers of the resurrection. Progress is slow, but it does not absolve us of our work. There's a story I heard not too long ago. This uh, from uh, one of my friends sent it to me. It's about a couple of old codgers who went hunting for moose up there in Maine. And a small seaplane takes these two old codgers over there to hunt for moose, and they land in a lake somewhere. And while they land in the lake, the guy takes them to the, sea, to the uh, lake shore, and he says to them, remember, I'll be back in three days, but remember this. This is a small plane. There's room for you, the two of you, and for one moose. Three days later, the pilot returns, and he's irritated to see the two old boys standing proudly there with their rifles, and not with one moose, but with two moose. So the pilot says, look, I told you, the two of you and one moose. The old-timers looked at each other in surprise and said, funny, the fellow last year didn't complain like you're complaining. The fear of competition proving greater than all of the other fears for the pilot, the pilot relented. So they loaded it all up, grumbling, and they put one moose on one side, they put the other moose on the other side, and finally the plane starts taking off of the lake a little bit at a time. All the engines are roaring. They're trying to get up in the air. Finally, they get off out of the lake, and they finally go, and they hit it, and finally they hit a tree, a tall pine tree, and everything goes flying all over the place. Parts of the plane are over here. Parts of the plane are over there. The moose, or one of them is over there. The other one is over there. So finally... One of the old codgers finally comes to him. He looks at his friend, pulls his head out of the mouth, sees his companion, and says, Where are we? His companion replied, Oh, about a hundred yards further than last year. <laughs> That's the way progress is. 
it is slow. And it requires that you not give up, that you not give in, that you not ever, ever give out living the resurrection. So sisters and brothers in Christ, what are we to do on this blustery, beautiful Easter day? God has done God's part. Powerful love has defeated loveless power. The stone has been removed away. The resurrection has overcome crucifixion. Forgiveness has overcome sin. And our departed ones are at rest where we too shall be one day. So let us join hands and hearts and voices and gather today because this is the right place to be at the right time doing the right thing. And let us sing praises to God. And let us not stop by only having sympathy for the crucified Christ. Let us pledge allegiance to the risen Christ. And let us open the door of the resurrection. Let us pledge our allegiance to that crucified Christ. And let us be the midwives of the resurrection. Because ultimately, you and I are the proof of the resurrection. Amen.